So. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, wait. This is not uncomfortable, but it's very weird. This is the thing? This is the one. Absolutely. And now it almost couldn't have happened in a better way. Where did you want to be? So it was just like, ah. Oh. <laughs> am I funny? Now if I go over here, am I still funny? Better strategy. Yeah, a way better strategy. I never thought about that. Yeah, it's a work. I don't see it five years from now that you're not my most famous friend. You really have to commit to something. Good to have some appreciation. That's that cool. That was really cool. Yeah, it might have been cool. This is On the Cusp. Hello, and welcome to On the Cusp. Today our guest is Casey Trela. He is the creator of the band Hi-Ho Silvero. His music has been featured on TV shows like Californication, and he is very, very lovable. This week's episode is sponsored by Thai Pepper at 6219 Franklin Avenue. Where else can you find Tom Yum Chicken Soup for only $6.25? Thai Pepper. If the Thai fighters from Star Wars weren't fictional, you know they would love Thai Pepper. So Casey Treel is another person that I've known for a pretty long time because he's another person who went to UNC Chapel Hill. Um, and we met in college um, actually while he was making a documentary and he interviewed me um, in the pit, which is what they call the center of our campus. And I actually, this is not a joke, but um, got kind of chased by a bee um, during my interview with him. There was just a bee that wouldn't leave me alone. Um, so that put our friendship off to a good start. Um, I feel very lucky because Casey's the person who, uh, I don't know how long this podcast will last. I hope it lasts for a long time, but he's agreed to let, um, his music and the music of his band, Hi-Ho Silvero, be the music for, uh, all the spaces between interviews for this show. Um, and I just feel really lucky that he's allowed us to have that because, I love Hi-Ho Silvero's music, and I love the music Casey makes. Um, I don't know a lot about music. Um, when people ask me what type of music I like, uh, it's often hard for me to answer, because the real answer is kind of just musical theater and then a smattering of pretty random uh, performers that I found from my friends, like Joanna Newsom and Dr. Dog and the Avett Brothers, people who don't have a lot of uh, connective tissue. But I love Hi-Ho Silvero's music and Casey's music, because it makes me just feel things deeply. Um, I've been listening to his music at his concerts and uh, on my car CD player uh, for a long time, and I've developed my own uh, meanings for the different songs. Um, so it was incredibly fun to get to sit down with Casey and actually ask him uh, some questions uh, towards the end of this inter interview about what the songs mean to him, because... I've become pretty attached to my own meanings. So here's the guy who's made it possible for this podcast to have some really cool music and who's given the world very graciously some really fantastic music um, and a guy who uh, I just like more the more I hang out with, Casey Trela. All I need to see to make you into a living thing Uh, when did you find out that you had diabetes? That was... Did I say it right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, some people say diabetes. diabetes. I say diabetes, because I think that's the correct yeah. way to pronounce it. Um, yeah, I have type 1. 
type two is more like senior citizens or like obesity related. Um, I think that one's more like if your body uh, can't just stop. Like type one is your body stops producing insulin completely. Like your pancreas just stops doing it. Type two, I think you can produce insulin maybe or a little bit. And then sometimes you take a pill. I'm in over my head. I don't know too much about type 2 diabetes. Mm-hmm. Type 1, um, yeah, I, I was diagnosed when I was a freshman in high school. I was getting... I'd had, like, three months where um, I was just incredibly thirsty all the time. Like, I would chug, like, a huge thing of orange juice um, or, like, drink an entire can of soda all at one time kind of thing and then, like, still be thirsty after that and, like, drink a ton of water all the time. And then because of that, I would constantly have to pee and basically with my body, like, not being able to process any of the sugar or carbohydrates that I was putting into it. So it was just trying to flush them out of my body by, like, running water. And but you didn't know that through. consciously. No, I had no idea. I just thought that I was super thirsty and peeing all the time and didn't really see, like, what was happening. And that might be part of puberty. Yeah, yeah, totally. Like, I, my voice had just changed. And so I was used to, like, weird things happening <laughs> to my body. I was like, there's hair coming in <laughs> all over the place. Um, yeah, so then I went to the doctor because I was playing baseball and I needed to get a physical. And I got the physical and hadn't had any problems before that, really. Like, physicals were always just like a routine thing that go and do. But this time they like sat me down and were like, so you have a lot of sugar in your urine from the pee test. Mm. And that was like a signal that I was just flushing out sugar and my blood sugar was super high when they do like the finger prick you know um it's supposed to be at 100 and mine was up like in the three to five hundred range wow which isn't great um so yeah luckily i we caught it early enough that i because some people don't realize that and they'll like go into like a coma or like yeah get more yeah, like, that is closer lucky. to death and have to go to the hospital but i like yeah we caught it early were you how did you how did you react to that at the time was that pretty scary yeah it was I've never had this sort of reaction where I um yeah so I found out they said we're pretty sure that you have type 1 diabetes they like listed the um the symptoms and I had all the symptoms and so there was a I had a very short like uh denial period where I was like no there's no way Uh, and then a little bit of frustration and then I remember going home, uh, I came in the house and my dad like jokingly asked like, hey, everything okay? Like everything turned out all right? Or what's wrong with you? That sort of thing. Like just a joke thing that you yeah. say after a ritual physical. Um, and I like sat down and I was like, well, actually, uh, things did not go <laughs> well. And Which must have, that, that exact moment must have been the scariest moment of his life. Oh, totally. Yeah. He, I'm sure he was just as surprised as I was and freaked out and... Um, yeah, so I, I told him and my sister, my little sister was there and my mom that I went upstairs and just like wept for a little while. So I just like trying to figure out what it means. I remember feeling really bad. My sister came in and was like trying to be comforting and I was like in angsty teenager mode. So I was like, just get out, leave me alone. And, uh, which I feel really bad about. Were you mostly upset? Because of the idea that your life would just be, like, different from this point forward? Yeah, it's the not knowing... It's knowing that it's going to be different and not knowing how it's going to be different and that it's permanent. Like, that it's not a curable thing. Um, Which I never... You know, you don't really... 
deal with permanent things very often. Yeah. It's like death is one, and then this one was not death, but was like somewhere in between where it was like a bad thing is going to affect my life negatively, and I was going to live differently from now on, uh, but I wasn't going to die immediately either. So I was like trying to like grapple between those things. Uh, my dad came up and talked to me a little bit, and I remember him saying like, uh, you know, it's probably not diabetes because, you know, like me, he was also just wondering like, cause I had been a healthy person and, um, up to that point and it didn't really make sense. I remember like thinking it didn't make sense, but having a good feeling that it was diabetes. And so I think that night I just decided to be okay with it and something flipped in me and I was just like, all right, well, we'll just figure it out as it goes. And then after that, it was, everything was pretty pretty okay um we went to the doctor the next morning they like kind of confirmed that it was diabetes i was supposed to go to the super bowl that weekend because the giants were playing and i'm a big my dad's big giants fan i'm a big giants fan we were going to drive to florida and stay with my aunt and we wanted to still do that and normally you have to like stay in the hospital for a couple days so they can run tests but uh the doctor that they sent us to was super cool and my aunt uh, was a nurse, so she was like, okay, well, I'll give you the basic rundown of like how to take insulin, how to check your blood sugar, what you need to do. Um, then you can go on this trip as long as you'll be like near your aunt who's a nurse and can help out. And my aunt's boyfriend at the time was a diabetic too, so like had some tips. And so yeah, she let us go and had a good weekend and felt a lot better too because I was taking insulin and my body was actually like getting back to normal in terms of like being able to process uh, sugar again, which was nice to like have energy and, uh, not feel like I had to pee all the time. And, uh, yeah, things went pretty smoothly and the doctor was really cool and, uh, got me going on it. Win the Super Bowl? No, we got beat, uh, pretty badly that year by the Ravens. So that was, that was definitely sad, but I think after, uh, Finding out I had diabetes, it didn't seem like that big of a deal as much. Yeah. Um, Puts yeah. things in perspective with <laughs> yeah. the Ravens. Yeah, totally. Like, I was, I was still pretty frustrated, but uh, I got over it a little faster than I had in the past. But yeah, so then I came back, and then since then, I remember also going to school after that. I sort of realized that um, I kind of like being like a, a big fish in a small pond whenever possible. Like, at anytime there's... I'm trying to display some sort of talent or like get ahead of somebody a little bit. Like being in a place where there's not a lot of competition to start out with is really nice. <laughs> and I sort of realized that it put me at this sort of like mental disadvantage, but where I could still thrive maybe. Like if I was able to say like, I have diabetes, um, it made people feel sorry for me and lent uh, a little bit more room for them to like listen to me or that sort of thing. Like oh, it was a interesting. weird, yeah. I, I mean, I didn't realize that all at once, but I remember, like, telling a girl that I had diabetes and she felt bad for me. It was, like, a more popular girl who hadn't paid any attention to me before. And when I told her that, she paid attention to me. And I was like, oh, whoa. So this might not be the worst thing in the world. You slowly figure out which things are cool to tell people yeah, and which things aren't. Exactly. That's that's And that's, like, a thing now that's strange because people have figured this out as they get older. And, like, being a nerd is yeah. a cool thing now. Um, so you're from where you're, you're from North Carolina originally, right? I was born in upstate New York, in central Jeez. New York. 
I keep on. This yeah. is what happened with John Mackey. Oh, said, really? Yeah, yeah. From North Carolina, and he said, "Yeah, I'm from yeah, New, he's from New York. York." Yeah, he was like born in New York. We're all like, from New York. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, so yeah, we were. Where in upstate? I was in Rome. So we were in New York State, probably even in New York City at the same time, a couple times. That's pretty cool. Before we even knew each other existed. But yeah, I, we could feel each other. Yeah, we could feel it. <laughs> we feel the good and just follow that good. Um, yeah, I was in central New York. It's near Utica and Syracuse, where they had Woodstock 99. It's where the Erie Canal started. Um, Fort Stanwix, the first flag. Specifically, your city is the Woodstock city? <laughs> yeah. It was, cool. it was on the old Air Force Base in the awesome. city. Awesome. Yeah, it's kind of So you're cool. also born in, in good vibes. No, because it was Woodstock 99, which oh. is the one where they burned everything at the end. <laughs> Not Woodstock 69. <laughs> Not Woodstock 69, which was a great, sort of a great success. Uh, Woodstock 99 did not... Oh, and it up. hadn't happened yet, either. Uh, Unless this was Woodstock 1899. No, no, yeah. Yeah, Woodstock 99 was in 1999. At the time of you being born, you were being born into the city that was just this Air Force area. Yeah, this city was like a historic city. It was the first city to flag... Wait fly the flag in the Revolutionary War. So they had that fort. And it's just like this strange, troubled city, like a lot of the cities, I guess, in upstate New York, kind of like the Rust Belt, where its main stuff was like history, uh, copper production. They had like a copper mill and then an Air Force base. And the Air Force base was closed in 1994. The copper mills all were went overseas and the history did not bring in any money to the city because like me like the fort that they built they built in the, in the 50s there was a like thriving downtown that they for some reason in that city decided to tear down the downtown and build a reconstruction of the original fort that they would not charge people to get into to see <laughs> So it was just, like, they just wiped out the downtown, put in this, like, fort reconstruction, where, like, they have, like, actors who act like they're in that time period. Yeah. So it's, it's like, a, it's a really goofy place. Um, <laughs> it sounds kind of goofy. Yeah. It's, like, fun to visit as a kid, um, but when you realize that it's, like, the main attraction that they were trying to bring people in to see, and that it's not doing anything for the city, uh... Which I get, it's not bad to have free things to do in the city, but when people get there, they should have ways to spend their money or something. I'm not. Yeah, it sounds like just bad planning. Yeah, they did a lot of bad planning. They turned down a NASCAR track in the '90s because <laughs> they were worried about the noise. It's a it's a city that was also run by like grumpy senior citizens. The motto is we're known for our bad decisions. <laughs> yeah. And now we're going to sleep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Let me watch my show, and I'm going to bed. Um, but there's a lot of good food there. A lot of, there's a really, there's a big Italian population. My family is Polish. There's like a Polish part of the city. There's a lot of good, like Polish and Italian food. And, uh, it's a pretty place. Like there's still pretty stuff there. It just like didn't do well. So that was a lot of the contributing reasons why my family decided to move, um, right before my sixth grade year, we moved to North Carolina. So you were there for all those until you were like 12? Yeah, I think I was like 10 or 11. And yeah, we moved in 1996 or 7, something like that. 
Um, but you remember up through 97 as a nice time? Yeah, totally. I loved it. I thought it was great. And small town, it was a nice feeling. Um, and what, what did your parents do for a living? They, they're both in education. So my dad at the time was a, a like administrator, sort of like the principal of this. Um, the it was like a this program called BOCES. That's like a side program where the kids from the different high schools would go to for a portion or all the time. Um, and sometimes it was like kids who were having trouble adjusting to normal public school would go there and I think they did more like trade kind of stuff too. Um, so there was a lot of like troubled kids or just kids that like didn't fit into the public school kind of system that would go there. And so he was the administrator there and my mom is in special education. So she worked with kids who had disabilities, um, usually in like self-contained classrooms, um, kind of set up in high schools. And then when we moved, she worked at the middle school that I went to. And then for my very first year in North Carolina, and she worked in the high school that I went to for my senior year of high school. So it was like the first and last years. My mom worked at the school, which well, was kind of nice. of noble parents. Yeah, no, they do great stuff. My mom's at Marist College now. She's uh, teaching potential teachers. And my dad just retired last year after he was an assistant principal at Congrats. a high school. Yeah, thanks. Did, did your parents big, meet in upstate <laughs> New me. York? Yeah, they, they both grew up. They grew up like two blocks away from each other but didn't know each other like growing up because my dad's wow. like six years older well, that's kind of cool yeah i know it's crazy i didn't think it was a big deal until we moved to other places where people's parents are from uh different cities and stuff uh, but yeah they met um my i think my mom's brother was a student of my dad's and they ended up like playing music together later and they my mom and my dad met and played in a band together. Um, and that's, so yeah, they met through music stuff and played in a group and they wrote some original music for a while. And then they also played covers and stuff at a lot of weddings. And What kind of music do they play? Uh, just rock and roll stuff. Like they're, I, I thought that they wrote a lot of songs by the Eagles or Tom Petty growing up because I heard them play them first. So I was like, oh yes, these songs that my parents wrote. <laughs> Peaceful, easy feeling. Uh, or running, running down a dream, those sort of songs. Um, yeah, they would do that, that sort of stuff. Just rock music. Yeah. I uh, love <laughs> thinking your parents did that. Yeah. It was a little confusing for a while. And then I slowly figured out that, uh, they were covering a lot of songs, but yeah, my, no, my mom wrote some music and there is potential. They had at one point, like they, they had sold one of the songs that she wrote and this woman, was going to perform on the tonight show. Um, and it was one of the shows where like the interview goes long. And so they bumped the musical guest. Oh and, man. Yeah. That was a bummer. That's like, I wasn't alive that yet. That could have been a, <laughs> yeah. a cutoff point. Yeah. It could have been, yeah. It might've been like a fork in the road for that, but didn't work out. But she is, she does really great work in special education. Yeah. Made a good name. Um, and so your household must've been really musical. Yeah, there was a lot of guitars around. I didn't really uh, figure out how to play them or that I wanted to play them until seventh grade. But I knew I, I wanted to play music from like as soon as I realized that was a possibility. Like I mostly started trying to write songs when I was in uh, like fourth or fifth grade, and then uh, just would sing all the time 
kind of thing too. Just so you were kind of writing series. acapella songs? Like yeah, this? yeah. I was like, I could imagine that there was a band playing with them, but I couldn't actually play any of the instruments yet. I was playing clarinet, and uh, but didn't know how to play that in a way. <laughs> That's <laughs> cool. Do you remember any of the songs? Uh, there was one where I was listening to like a lot of soundtracks at the time, like Batman Forever soundtrack was big on the list. There was a Sunny Day Real Estate that was on that song, or that was on that uh, soundtrack. And then there was a, I was listening to the Beatles a lot, the anthology series that they put out. Um, so like B-sides and stuff. And so I had like a demo version of Strawberry Fields Forever and this Sunny Day Real Estate song that I sort of combined into a song. But uh, so the lyrics were all about strawberry fields um, and beautiful lights and uh didn't it doesn't make any sense but yeah i kind of remember but, but probably that. was pretty was pretty oh i'm sure it was a really good song uh <laughs> <laughs> no yeah most of the songs that i wrote up up till like before college and some of the songs i wrote in college i'm pretty like would never play again that sort of thing okay <laughs> yeah it's definitely like a long period of feeling things out yeah and figuring out what genres i like to, to play that's um you you have one sister right or mm-hmm. i have and- yeah, I have a bi- biological sister um, who's four years younger than me. Caitlin. Caitlin. Yeah. And she's in New York now, and she's writing and works at a social media company. And then my other sister, Morgan, um, we became like her legal guardians in, when she was in high school and I was in college. Um, she was like a friend of my sister's, and then, yeah, she became part of the family. In, That's in really high school. cool. Yeah, yeah, she's great. She's uh, at ECU. North Carolina now, so finishing up. But yeah, yeah, real good family. Me and my sister didn't get along very well until I think I realized that I was a jerk in my senior year of high school is when I started being okay with myself and then realizing that I'd. Because I feel like when I got to teenage years, I based a lot of my life on TV. And, like, just thought I was supposed to be, like, a jerk as an older brother. <laughs> and did a lot of, like, jerk stuff. Or just, like, ignoring my sister kind of thing, I think. Because TV told you to. Yeah, because TV told me to. Also, like, my my first uh, serious girlfriend, I I did a lot of, like... Uh, did you ever read the Lockhorns, that comic yeah. strip? I thought that a relationship was supposed to be, like, just kind of jive, like, jabs at <laughs> each lo- other. A lot of, of ragging. <laughs> yeah. So I did, razzing. like, a lot of, like, razzing to my first girlfriend when we first started going out and then realized that that's not how, like, a relationship runs. M- Madeline hates it whenever I say, oh, boy, I'm sleeping on the couch tonight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess I'm going to the doghouse. Uh... Yeah, there's not really, like, a doghouse scenario a lot of times. And that works out after that. Usually if, like, you actually have to sleep in a doghouse for a night, you'll get divorced pretty soon. <laughs> <laughs> it's not any couple where... Yeah. Is that, like, the husband don't... is spending lots of time in the doghouse. Yeah. Things yeah. are more broken. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like, everybody loves Raymond. I don't know if that... In, I don't know if that kind of relationship could play out in real life. Uh, usually people don't have that sort of, like drive to keep going yeah <laughs> but uh yeah but literally so, every episode is a big fight yeah a huge fight where he's done something awful uh and then has to apologize for it but it taught us that we could do awful things every week yeah yeah and, and still be loved by everybody yeah yeah um what kind of a kid do you feel like you were in the pre-north carolina days um i think so i remember being super um Strange up till 
second grade, I was strange with not a lot of friends. Um, so like kindergarten, I, I don't know when you normally start making friends. I felt like in kindergarten and first grade, I was doing my own thing. I was like <clears throat> learning what triggers and stuff I could. I remember this is random story in first grade, realizing that I could make myself cry and go home from school. Like I remember I sat and I thought I like did the thing with your lip. Like when you're sad, like the normal face you'll make, like I made that face for five minutes and then somebody asked me what was wrong and I just like burst into tears and said that I missed my mom and the teacher thought that I had chicken pox and sent me to the nurse <laughs> and then I went home and then I, I was a kid who like went to the nurse every single day um, and I think I was just hungry and you know how your stomach feels when you're hungry like, yeah. I thought that that was an issue and so I went to the nurse every day but you were making up that you missed your mom or was there some truth there's, I mean, there's some basic truths to that. <laughs> I definitely, my mom was one of my best friends in first grade. Um, so I wanted to hang out you with You weren't her. having that much fun in school, so it was I nice hated, to... Yeah, yeah I realized I did not want to be at school. Also, after school, I would go to, like, a babysitter's house where I would just sit. She was great, really nice, but I would just sit there and not have anything to do for a couple hours, which was kind of boring. Um, yeah. So I wanted to be home uh, playing with toys. Um, so yeah, I was like figuring out how to interact with people, um, what I could do to not be in normal school. Uh, I did a lot. I also like, I remember pretending to be sick a lot in first grade because I didn't want to go to art class on Mondays because I was was scared of that teacher. And so I would like pretend to be sick, um, every Monday. Wow. And it worked for a little while. And what was, what was scary about that teacher? Uh, she was just a lady who, she was just a little gruff. Mm-hmm. There's nothing severely scary. She didn't hit anybody. She just had a way about her that uh, made me feel like she might yell at me. Uh, I think I was really scared of authority for some reason, also as a kid. But yeah, so then in... Uh, People don't realize how scary that kind of thing can yeah, be. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that would make somebody not want to go to school altogether. Yeah, yeah. And I was like avoiding facing the problem a little bit for a while there. And then, uh, but yeah, second grade, I remember getting a haircut that, uh, like I brought a picture of the kids from Home Improvement to the haircut lady and said like... Of Jonathan Taylor Thomas or somebody else? It was all three of the boys. Okay. They had all gotten the same cut, which was sort of like the part down the middle, kind of a little swoop. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, that's... I want to make this happen for me. <laughs> and so I brought that to the lady. I got like a skater's cut, they called it. And uh, after that, I remember like kids being nice to me at school. And so then I got more confident and I would, I remember also claiming weirdness as like a thing that I was proud of. So if I did something and someone called me weird, I'd be like, yeah, I am weird. And I, at some point I made that choice to... That's a cool early time to start owning I think it, it, it helped a lot. So then I was able to be a weird kid. With a cool haircut. With a cool haircut. Uh, who um, people didn't hate being around. So, <laughs> so I, I slowly got into that. I, got, I felt like I was pretty confident up to fifth grade. Um, I had a long crush that I had had a crush on for a few years. That finally became like my girlfriend in quotes, but when she became my girlfriend, I did not. Um, I was too scared to talk or touch her, talk to or touch her. Yeah. Um, 
and I did not do those things. But it must have felt really good to have... But it felt good just knowing that I had a girlfriend. After liking this girl for years. Yeah, yeah. So just the idea of a girlfriend was really nice. Um, made me feel secure. Um, she broke up with me the next year, which made sense. So you did a, sing- a full year of dating without really talking or... Right, yeah. <laughs> and part of that was summer vacation, where you're not going to see that person anyway. Uh-huh. I tried calling her once or twice... But I just wasn't. What are you gonna talk about? Sounds nice. Yeah, it was no. It was a good relationship. That's mainly how my relationships have gone <laughs> since then. That's great. I just like having the idea of a girlfriend around. I've got five or six in different cities um, that I'm dating in quotes. Now people uh, don't think it's as cool now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, people are not cool when they find out. No, so I uh, I moved after fifth grade, which was traumatic. Um, you know, like, if you move and your your cat is kind of, like, freaked out, like, humans are the same way. And I was really freaked out uh, emotionally for a couple of years after that, I think. Because um, it was the first time, like, it was, like, the first, like, permanent kind of thing that got replaced in my life. Where I thought I was always going to live in this place and have the same friends and uh, grow old with people. Because that's what my parents had done up to that point. I had lived in the same city. And uh, most of my family lived, like, in the same area. Um, and I had had friends move away, but never thought I would be the kid who moved. Yeah. Um, so it was, I was about to be at the top of my school, like sixth grade was the top. And I moved to North Carolina. You were right about to be a big fish. I was about to be, pond. yeah. I was, in a small pond, I was going to be the biggest fish. And uh, I moved, and sixth grade was the start of middle school in North Carolina. So my, my summer got cut a month short, and I was like back at the bottom of the school. And, and where? What, what place in North Carolina? This is in Charlotte. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I went, moved to Charlotte. We lived in an apartment for a year and then moved into a house after that. Um, yeah, so it was, a big, it was a big transition. Were kids pretty different in Charlotte? Yeah. They, I, I felt like everybody was just more... Uh, I, w- I was scared of everybody. And it took me a while to feel out, like, which kids belong to which groups. Because I think everybody kind of divides into, like, caste system more in middle school, too. And uh, people felt more defensive or, like, standoffish, I guess, at first. I made, like, some friends early on and then sort of floated through. Because there were some other kids who had kind of moved in the last couple of years and were in the same boat a little bit. Some people were, like, the general vibe of the South is nicer, though. Like, people are uh, a little less hardened by weather and um, years of, like, Catholic guilt. They more have, like, a evangelical upbringing, so they're more, like, wanting to talk to people and um, say nice things and smile and handshakes and stuff. What was your religious upbringing up till that point? I was uh, I was Catholic, grew up Catholic, um, went to church, not super regularly, but went, like felt like I was supposed to go to church every Sunday. Um, and we sorted that. My parents aren't super outspoken about religion. Um, so up through that point, I was Catholic. And we found a Catholic church in the South. And it, it had a little bit of like a Southern change to it, where it was like a big church where a lot of people came to. And they had more progressive music. They were uh, playing some drums and... A um, little more like sing-alongable songs. That's cool. Yeah, uh, I, yeah. So I, I I started going to that church and went to like youth group and stuff through there. Um, 
then dropped off more in high school the first couple of years. But then I uh, had a crush on a girl in high school and um, she was religious and she had grown up Presbyterian. And so I then uh, became more geared towards Christianity and because that was like a step to this relationship. Yeah. And in the process of like trying to get into this relationship, I also like tried to commit myself. Like if I get into something, I want to like really commit to it and do my best at it. And so I, you know, got really into like the Christian world. Committing to her and committing to Jesus were pretty... Yeah. One and the same. I wouldn't have said that at the time. Like I would have definitely said that they were separate. But looking back on it, I think it was pretty tied up uh, together. <laughs> like the... Uh, girls and God were kind of all one thing for a little while. Um, yeah, so I went to college and got more into the Christian scene there um, and kind of had two packs that I would like kind of run with like because I was also trying to play music and had started a band and was trying to get that going and the music scene isn't a particularly Christian place. So I'd, I'd I think I also took the Catholic guilt into the Southern Christian world um, and combined them to just sort of feel guilty about everything uh, all the time. That sounds really positive. Yeah, yeah. It was a pretty... <laughs> I had like definitely a pretty like bummerful Christian experience. <laughs> uh, but also like forming very strong bonds with people because you're like... It's like joining a fraternity where yeah. you're like, yeah, you go through horrible things when you're pledging so that you'll form a tight bond with people. I was kind of like doing that mentally with other guys where we're like, like life's a struggle and you're like struggling to get through. I have Um, my crosses to bear. Yeah. Um, how many colleges did you apply to? I applied, I really only like seriously applied to Chapel Hill. Cool. I, I applied to Greensboro and Appalachian State. So was there ever a doubt in your mind that it's like you were going to go to UNC? No. I was. I didn't have any older siblings, and I didn't really think about college until senior year of high school and realized that like I had to go to college. I could I, I think deep into the future and think like and wonder about this, like what my life will be like and what I want it to be like in that picture, but I never connect the dots there. Mm-hmm. Um, so when things come up, that are immediate things that you actually like have to do to get to those places. Like I'm very surprised by them a lot of times. So that was what like college was, but I had been so scared of authority, uh, that I did well in school because I was really afraid of failing. Um, so I would, I, I got like good grades enough and SAT score was fine. And then applied to UNC and got in. I'm sure that diabetes helped too, to be able to put that in the application. <laughs> Did you like UNC right away? I, uh, I had liked, yeah, I think so. I liked being in college. I liked, uh, living in a dorm room for the first couple of years and being able to like make my own schedule and feel independent without like really being independent yet. Um, it's like a nice transition into being an independent adult. Um, which I still don't feel like I am. And what was the breakdown of your life? Like, if you had to put it into classes, like, how much of your life was music? Yeah, I, I was, I would say I did more, more music stuff in college than I did school stuff. Like, I was, I skipped a lot of classes in order to work on music things. I think that's great. Yeah. 
I, I feel if I could go back, I mean, I would still go to like, I like the experience that I had in Chapel Hill and being in college allowed me to meet the people, um, to play music with and be a part of like that community. Cause college is also like a great place to learn how to promote yourself because you're in the middle of your demographic of like people who want to do the same things as you. Um, so you can like figure out the best ways to tell them that you're doing something. Um, but yeah, so that was good, but I feel bad that I didn't focus my, like, I feel like I could have focused my majors on stuff I actually could have used better. Like, I wish I had learned some business savvy in college, but I... To use that for your music later. Yeah, to use it for music. And I did learn, like, my main focus was media production, so I learned more audio stuff that I needed to learn. I learned, like, movie-making things that I wanted to know, because that's, like, a world I wanted to be in. Um, But I... They just... It was a liberal arts school that focuses you on not being focused on one thing. Yeah. <laughs> so I feel like I may have benefited from like focusing more on one thing. Maybe. Maybe. I've thought yeah. that too. Yeah. Um, what do you think's cool about Chapel Hill? Like in it as that school specifically? I think for me, it was you're in the city in the, in a conservative state, you're in like the liberal city and there's like progressive things, progressive thought happening but it's also like coming up against a lot of old school thinking or like conservative thinking. And so you're constantly having to like define yourself or like make decisions about what you believe. Um, which I, yeah, I don't know. I think, I think that informed a lot of who I am now probably. I like that. I like yeah. a place where you're not, if you're preaching, you're not preaching to the choir. Yeah. Which LA is totally that you're, always pre like I feel like I'm just living in the choir now um which is it's nice it's a good way to live I think most of your life but it I do miss the challenges a little bit of yeah like, and because it opens you up as a person to be around people that aren't like you and to actually see that nice people can exist who don't share the same views as you I like that revelation yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah that was a good one for me coming out of the Christian world, I think, in college. Um, you were in a band called Sweater Weather in college. Yeah. Was that your main band? Yeah, that was my main band all through college. It was like a... started out where it was just... I was trying to play solo stuff that I'd written in high school with a band, and I got a group together that was like sort of an acoustic coffee shop kind of group. Like it was like cello, hand percussion... Uh, and then like sort of auxiliary like glockenspiel and melodica and stuff. Cool. Do I know anybody in that group? Um, the people... I thought, wasn't John Mackey in it? Yeah, John Mackey was in it um, kind of like the second year. Okay. Yeah, he came in when, when we... But the of, first year, I might not know anybody yeah, from I don't know the first you know, iteration. It was like Tim Phillips. And, oh, I do know him. Yeah, you know Tim. Uh, Lindsay Ellerby was playing cello. And Adam Schaefer and off was playing I love Lindsay Ellerby's show, Nick News. Yeah, she's great in that. Yeah, she did a great job. I think Linda Ellerby is actually, like, her aunt. Oh, is so that really they're, true? They're, like, literally related. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> and that's a really spot-on joke. Yeah, yeah, it's great. So, yeah, so we started out like that, and Sweater Weather made sense as a name for that group, because it's, like, warm feeling, fall, nice uh, vibes, I think, come along with it. 
But then... Um, was it a Christian group? Well, I, I, would, I did not want it to be called a Christian group. But I think a lot of the themes of the songs were Christian doubt themed. Because that's what I was going through. And so that's how I'd always define it. I think if I was listening to myself as like a third party, I would probably say like, I would definitely like mention that it was Christian related in telling it to somebody else because those themes are like very present and kind of like in your face. So there's a difference between a Christian group and a Christian doubt group. Yeah, for sure. And I think there's a lot of good bands. I mean, I think Stephen Stevens is like in that world of that. Christianity usually gets mentioned, but also it's accessible to people who aren't Christian. That's kind of the group I wanted to have was like that we, we were, I was dealing with this stuff and talking about it and working it out, but it didn't have to be. In your mind was expressing Christian doubt part of being a good Christian? No, no, I don't, I didn't want to be doubting, but that's where I felt most comfortable. I think. But you just were doubting. Yeah, I just was and doubting. And so it was honest to talk about it. Yeah, totally. Because like it would come up in every part of my life. Because um, there were things... It's that thing like I was around all these Christian people that I really liked and like really liked the company of, and they were nice people. Um, but then I was also around all these people who were the opposite um, faith-wise, but were also great people to be with. And like... Um, meeting people who were gay when I didn't know anyone who was gay growing up completely shifted my view of, uh, what being gay is. <laughs> and like, uh, I, I didn't want to be closed off in that kind of bubble. And then I think just the core things that it comes down to, I don't know if I agree with those things anymore. Um, I like the, some of the teachings of it and, uh, but those were things I was like trying to pull out the things that I liked about it, but really there's all these things that are kind of stuck in the way when religion gets involved that are more like rules that people have invented instead of whatever love that like a God is teaching or something, (laughs) which I was more into, um, but really hated the rules and stuff of it and that kind of trying to make things that aren't supposed to be specific, very specific and like down the line rules. Um, where were you by the end of college with religion? Um, well, the girl that I had gotten into religion for and I had broken up by the end of college. And so you dated her from high school? I did. Yeah, I dated her from high school to the summer before my senior year. And was she at UNC? She was at UNC also. And so, yeah, we were together and going through a lot of the stuff together, like Christian doubts and stuff and... Um, you know, or it was more like, I wasn't even doubting Christianity. I was doubting myself as a good Christian. Like I was on board with Christianity, but then like felt like I wasn't doing a good job at being one. Um, and it, that caught, I think it like, we just had a lot of like guilt and like confusion in our relationship from it too. Um, like trying to be two people in college and also two like people with Christian beliefs and stuff like doesn't always <laughs> line up well. And then, yeah. So I think we just grew apart as people too. Um, like a lot of people do in relationships. And so, yeah, so we broke up and things were, we, then we went into like the on again, off again phase of a relationship for like six months. And then she started dating 
a new guy who was my roommate at the time and that like flipped me out where because that was the end of my first serious relationship and then it I was okay I had gotten okay with like the idea of us both moving on and not being together but was expecting it to be like when after college when we had both moved to other places but then I was kind of like confronted with it in my face and got really angry and yeah. Was this relationship with High Ho Silvero's second album was about or it's, or was like influenced by? Yeah, like High Ho Silvero came out of that that failure of a relationship, I think. Yeah. And, or that situation of me like kind of like facing that failure. <laughs> a lot of your first songs are Yeah, yeah. like thinking about that stuff. Yeah, and there were like there were some songs. I remember like my first show, not as High Ho Silvero, but I just I was playing a solo show where I was, like, working out some of these songs and playing them in front of people who, like, knew the situation and them just being very concerned about me after playing them. There were, like, some darker songs that uh, I didn't end up using that, (laughs) like, yeah, I was just, I was really angry. Like, I, I was experiencing new emotions that I hadn't felt, like, new versions of anger and frustration. I'm a person who, like, when something comes up between me and another person, I want to get it sorted out immediately. And it was just a situation where it couldn't be sorted out. Like, what I wanted couldn't happen. And I was facing that and trying to figure out um, what what I was supposed to do. Because I just pictured... I was also still going back to, like, movies and, like, TV growing up. And, like, if uh, a guy wanted to be with a girl and realized that and made some changes in his life, then he could usually win her back. And so I attempted to do that and, like, had some, like, theatrical moments where I was, like... I, like, stopped and, like, turned around and just ran, uh, like, a mile to her house and, like, knocked on the door and burst in and was like, hey, I love you. And then, uh, but did not have the, <laughs> then I was just like, okay, I'm sorry, it's not going to work out <laughs> kind of moment. Which just, is, like, that happens in one of the songs, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, and Commitment on the first album is sort of about that situation. But, yeah, then... So it was good to have those experiences and realize that life is not like a movie. And if that movie had played out, like it would have been so boring afterward, I'm sure. Because <laughs> I, I was prepared to sort of like give up music and try to form my life to fit this person's life, which they shouldn't be formed together. Like we were into different stuff and that's okay. Like two people can do different stuff. And but love it was each hard other. for you to rationalize not yeah. having the thing you wanted working out. Yeah, yeah. And just having like two people make promises to each other and like envision something permanent. It was, cause it was kind of like when I was moving, I was living in New York, like when I was a kid, I was like, this is how my life is always going to be. And I did the same thing with this relationship. It's like, this is always going to be this way. And I could see myself like marrying this person, having kids, and uh, made promises based on those things that then I couldn't live up to you in the in-between. Like, I was, like, getting towards the end of college, I was like, I don't want to get married. Um, I don't think I'm ready to, like, take that plunge yet, but um, just not being able to connect dots from where I was to the person I wanted to be. And it was because those dots shouldn't be connected. Yeah, so I just had to work through that and say things I felt bad about later. But, uh, yeah, now I think everything is feeling a lot better with that relationship and like yeah what's your spiritual life today um i'm i'm in a place where i'm thinking about it every day still but i'm 
I think I'm coming at it more from a, not an atheist perspective, but not like a Christian perspective either, where I'm, I don't know, I think I'm talking more about like general energy and spirituality and the universe more now, which is kind of a common LA thing, I think. Um, but. So just getting back into the story of uh, how it all happened a little yeah. bit. Um, do you do you think of the conversation about moving to LA as being one that you had with John Mackey, or um, like what what's your version of your story of how you moved to LA? Yeah, I think it was. I think it was John who was like the tipping point for me because we had a group of friends that um, like my kind of the end of my junior year and my senior year we all started hanging out and making movies and stuff. For we were all in the same classes and we're into the same things, and. Uh, so I kind of got into that group of like just great people, and they were all moving to LA to do this internship through uh, UNC, and I wasn't doing that internship and wasn't interested in going to LA at all. Um, and I think I had it in my mind too that they were going to do this internship, but then they were going to come back and we were going to do things there, or I was just going to like do things in North Carolina with the people that I knew there. Um, but that, the relationship thing happened I got into kind of a rut, um, where it didn't feel like, like I, I was just in Chapel Hill, like kind of reliving, um, and wanting this, or like having this nostalgia all the time that I was like, that I wanted back, but I knew I couldn't get back. So just kind of bittersweet at all these places that I really like to go and hang out at, but it felt like the the glory days were gone and <laughs> all these depressing thoughts. Um, and then John said he was going to move out to LA. Um, and our friends, you know, Katie and Garrett and, uh, CC were all out here and, um, yeah, felt like, felt like the right time, um, to do it if just to try something new. And so I, I had it in my mind that I was just going like, to come out for, you know, a year and see how it felt and then go back. But, um, yeah, I got out here and we all lived together and kept, you know, it, when you move to a new place, if you move with, like the hardest thing about moving to a new place is finding people to be friends with and get to know. And if you have a core group where that part is already taken care of, then you just get onto the fun stuff of like exploring a new city together, like taking trips and getting to know people and you you go out and you feel a little bit more confident on your own. You bring people back to the group and get to know those people. And so, yeah, we got to know this really great community of people. Um, and so it felt homey within the first couple of years. Like I met my girlfriend at a party that we went to, um, Layla, and we've been together since then. And yeah, it just felt like it became, LA became more of a home um, really quickly. And I really, I think I still fight it. Like I still entertain the idea of moving um, either back to North Carolina or to a new place, but I don't like North Carolina is a new place for me now. If I was to move back there, it would be, it, it would be a different um, experience. Yeah, for sure. How did you meet so many comedy people? Because I feel um, like you became friends with like Charlene Yee and DC Pearson and like yeah. uh, Dave Horowitz. Right. Yeah. They. Um. It, it was through music, I think, because John. It was part of the like. John had gone out and started doing improv and um, 
So he got into the comedy world and met a few people and brought them back to the group and we became friends and just all started hanging out more. And um, I, I think it just became that group of encouragement that I like to be in where everyone was like pumped about the comedy stuff that they were doing and like we were, uh, you, know, you could help film a sketch or something or get a little project together. Um, or they could help with the music that I was making because a lot of people just play music and or do comedy. Just if you're in the performance world, you can do either of those things. Okay. Yeah. So I think so. John got to know all these people and brought them back to the group, and uh, we became friends. And then uh, through playing music, I mean, it just kind of it keeps expanding. Like uh, you'll get a couple of comedy people that you'll meet at a party to like come to a show and like go to see one of their shows and you're just constantly in kind of the same communities of people and we're running into each other and talking. Um, and I can't remember how we met DC. Charlene, I met at a party and she came and played a house show at our house. And then we all just became friends. And I think her and Dave were living together and we're at a good place to like start meeting new people and hanging out with people and had just a really fun year of just like, being open to doing a bunch of stuff and making a lot of music and making uh, a lot of comedy things together. Like I could make some comedy or make some music to throw onto a sketch or that sort of thing. And, uh, just like a year of going out and finding people and having this group to, um, entice people to come back. Cause it, it's nice when you're like, not just one person, like you're presenting yourself as a group of people. And, uh, I don't know, there's a lot of, a lot of cool things within that group. I think that people were into. Yeah. Yeah. It's it was a. Uh, I kind of think of like the era of like the Winona House existing. Yeah. As sort of like a Camelot. Yeah, totally. I think it was it was a nice place to come to. Um, just getting to LA and not knowing anybody because it was very welcoming and um, there was a lot of just hanging out and sitting on that back patio and yeah. talking about stuff and like. Who exactly was in the first version of Hi-Ho Silvero? Um, so first it was just John and I. We played a few shows where it was just kind of like figuring it out. Like he would play a little bit of keyboard or something, or like we both play guitar. And then uh, Will moved out from North Carolina, um, and he could play piano and guitar, and so he started doing those things. But we didn't have a bass player, so he would just play the bass parts on the keyboard. Um, and then we got Phil who was doing comedy with John and he played Phil a little Eastman. bit of guitar. Yeah. Phil Eastman. And Will Donegan. And Will Donegan. So yeah. Just everybody, they should all look these people up cause they're all cool. Um, yeah. Phil played a little bit of guitar and we just needed like, yeah, somebody to play some rhythm guitar and he was down to do that. And he was like really up for just getting the music out there too. So um, did a lot of promoting and like booking things and yeah so when we had that set up the four of us I think the band grew a lot and we did a lot a lot of shows um, that year that at bigger places that we hadn't been able to get to before we also like just didn't have the instruments to do it at first like when I moved out I couldn't bring uh, a lot of stuff with me so it was just a matter of like acquiring a lot of times we were just like borrowing like a snare drum or a kick drum and then like putting them on a chair because we didn't have like the actual hardware that you put a drum set together with and just sort of assembling <clears throat> like a makeshift drum kit or like 
kind of it was just sort of a makeshift band for the first year um just to flesh out the songs a little bit more and then everybody in that group though um was also doing great stuff in another world like either in comedy or acting or just writing their own music and like wanting to do that and so um it it kind of like i think one at a time each person just needed to commit their time to that other stuff and i think when i started hi-ho i wanted it to be that kind of band where people could come and go and like i just wanted to play with more people um but i've also realized like it's easier to have a set group of people so that you don't have to like teach people all the songs every show yeah yeah so um yeah so slowly people came in and out and then the formation of just uh me and roxy radalescu and kevin manmorin and chris dunn that is now the band kind of came together and everybody uh right it's yeah it's in a really nice place right now where everyone is really excited about the music that we're making and i think we're making it where i'm still doing all the songwriting of the lyrics and like getting the basic structure laid out but then everybody is like putting in their own piece like their own parts and um really like fleshing things out as a group um which we'd done before in the past but i think just hadn't had the time and focus to do it the way that we're doing it now and uh because on top of that everyone's able to contribute kind of their the skills that they have outside contribute to like the other parts of the band like Kevin and Roxy are really great at just graphic design and uh creating um just little odds and ends that we can put up in different places and promote the group and yeah everyone has their like connections and stuff that we they're all music kind of based people um who like I mean Kevin's also an actor and uh, does that as well but he's been playing music this whole time as well so he's got a lot of like just things he's contributing in and yeah everyone's just more on the same um the same line of like where we want to go with it I think and um and it's sort of operating like a really well-oiled machine yeah I think it's getting it's getting to that point and starting to grow a little bit where like we're we just got a our friend TJ just came on to manage things which has been great because I've been you know, handling all that in the past. And um, I think the the tricky thing with a band is there's the music that you create and uh, like actually just writing the songs and getting everybody to play different parts and setting up shows then. So then like getting good at booking is like, that's a job that someone has is like a booking agent where they just do that. And you're trying to just, you're trying to do that job while also like creating the music. And then you're also trying to like, sell t-shirts which is a totally different job that i have no idea how to do it's weird that (laughs) musicians are not necessarily the best t-shirt salesmen no yeah i don't know who is most t-shirt salesmen like aren't out in the world it's me and i've been trying to (laughs) yeah i've been wishing you would contact me for years (laughs) yeah there's just like so many pieces of it that don't have anything to do with music but that you have to do in order to be able to play music um, it's strange. Well, your trajectory seemed really cool to me. Like from an outsider perspective, it just looked like it's up, up, up. Oh, cool. Um, that's good. Yeah, no, it feels it feels good. I, I feel like we've progressed like the whole time I've been here, and that's that's a good feeling. Um, again, it's like sometimes it's scary being in Los Angeles and either seeing like 
people who have been here for a long time and haven't gotten to the place that they want to be at yet or people who have been here a very short time or have done like played music for a very short time but have like shot through the through the roof and uh not knowing what you're supposed to do <laughs> like what path you're supposed to take but i don't know i'm starting to get a better feel for like just the things that i want to do and like then what i have to do in order to just trying to take it more on a small level instead of doing the like have a distant goal and not know how to get there like just get the small goals like the immediate things together um can i ask some specific questions about different songs yeah in okay so one of the first uh lyrics that like got stuck in my head for like weeks and uh and still and still just keeps popping up mm-hmm. is uh if from perjury mm-hmm. um in my friends in the sun mm-hmm. i guess is the album but, yeah yeah um it was like if you really want to love forget what you know yeah yeah um i, I love that so much and Thanks, what is it does that mean something specific to you um yeah well first it's uh exciting to me that you've listened to the songs at all that's really fun i listened to all the songs <laughs> thank you live and, like, over time lyrics. yeah that's really neat um well yeah i think when i wrote it i was thinking about you know i was moving out of this relationship and um the thought of being in another relationship was really difficult um because i kept looking for either like the things in the person I was just with in new people or, uh, or the opposite of those things. And so I was like still basing, um, my ideal relationship on a failed relationship. And, uh, yeah. So I think just trying to like forget those things and start fresh, um, still taking, you know, like the important things you've learned or the, the versions of love that you've learned and remembering those things, but forgetting the things, um, that are going to keep you from like progressing in your life. Yeah. That's so interesting. Cause I've always like brought my own, I think this is going to happen with music yeah, all the time, yeah. but like my own meaning with those lyrics yeah, means something so different. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what is it for you? I, I always think of it as being like <laughs> that I love more easily when I like get out of my head yeah like, yeah that's yeah totally that's kind of another version of stop bringing a bunch of weird associates like like yeah. almost even that like when I'm drunker I'm more mm. or like when I drink I get to be a little bit more loving oh me too um, yeah yeah I just want to like I, I feel like we're all connected and brothers and sisters <laughs> the more drunk I get the more the more because when I'm in my head and like just cycling through my own anxieties yeah uh, that's when I can be a weirdo is like when I'm thinking the most, but yeah, totally. Yeah. I feel like there are other lines in that song that are more along those lines. Like, Cause can I was you definitely think thinking the same. Uh, I'm trying to think of what the words are. Uh, what's the second verse? When I think of blissful times, there's winter skies, branches covering up my eyes. Maybe, uh, Branches covering up my eyes. That sort of like, yeah. the vibe I was going for, like the frustrating things. And the, the best part of nursery rhymes are how they fall apart, that sort of thing. Like, So I guess it's p- partly that things are supposed to go wrong in your life and that's okay, but then being able to see through them and move on to, yeah. It all sort parts. of <laughs> works yeah. for how I've always thought Yeah, about. yeah. This is great. Um, um, 
That's really cool. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's the thing, like, that's great about music is that it doesn't, it's not just what I originally thought. Like, not even for me. Like, sometimes I'll sing older songs and they mean different things to me now um, because I've, I'm over the original problem, but still find ways to relate to them and that's, put it into my life. That's really cool. Yeah, it's fun. It's a nice, like, living medium. <laughs> um, in communion, mm-hmm. um, is there something... What were you thinking when you say, like, my body is a seed? You don't need to say if you don't... Yeah, um, no. I'm trying to think, like, in that moment, what I was thinking. I think it was... Because it's a lot about, like, your body being a seed and, like, it being, like, pushed down and, like, spread out. and Yeah, yeah. Um, I think wanting to... Uh, I, I mean, I, these questions are all a little silly because I know no, no, the nature fine. of... Yeah, it's, it, it's weird because I don't want them to be... Like, I think a lot of them came out of relationship things, which was, like, the starting point for all of them, but then... Um, a lot of it was like trying to push past whatever frustrating things I was going through or like things I was angry about and just trying to separate myself from those and see the world as a more like, as a bigger place than just my problems and just maybe like being able to take myself out of that and then be open to new experiences or like being able to help other people with their problems or like learning from my problems so that they could be helpful Gosh. to other people that's cool that's good yeah okay <laughs> yeah um yeah there's just times because I, I felt like <laughs> if there's something like really sad but poignant about that like hmm. break down Casey and like uh, <laughs> repurpose him so yeah, that he totally. can be useful again yeah uh, yeah because I think I I don't know if this is the same for you or like for most people, like after you go through something traumatic or or just like a, if it's like a relationship thing, like after that, there, the world, it felt like a whole new part of it opened up where I was able to like appreciate it in a new way. Yeah. Cause I, like songs that I'd heard before I heard completely differently and like loved then was able to like find good and different things that I thought were silly or like didn't understand. Because I could apply this new depth of, like, emotion to other parts of my life. That is really cool. Yeah, it's exciting. Um, I really like the new song, too. Thanks. Um, yeah, it's been I'm trying to decide. I'm trying to decide whether I want to bring up something or not. Oh, yeah. Um, no, go for it, man. Well, my friend Maggie has, like, had this experience with God mm-hmm. where, like, she was... She was like in a forest in Ghana, I think, either in mm-hmm. China or Ghana, okay. and basically got a direct message from God, uh, like who spoke to her through a tree, oh, man. and said to her, um, "Every step is a step closer." Oh wow! Um, that was like just, and that was such a comforting thing for her to hear. Huh. Um, it's like kind of a big thing to hear. Was it like not in a silly way, but was it like any sort of specifically like drug related thing or like that sort of journey? No, she wasn't. Like she wasn't on drugs or... at all. Oh, okay, it was, it was just, just like she was. Just, she's just very in tone and sort of in tune with the universe and has oh, okay. her ears open cool. and and has like sort of those spirit. You know, people have like yeah, yeah. spiritual moments of thinking they can hear God. And Definitely, I think she's a person who's who's had a few of those oh, cool. over time. Huh. Um, it's not like it's always. She's not a person who God is always talking to her. Right, I feel right. like she's a person who feels like God has talked to her. Huh. And then that's like one of the things that he said to her that really stuck with me the most. Yeah. Um, 
and in what I am doing, it's what are the the, the main lyrics are sort of speak to that kind of thing. Yeah, it's very it's every step I take now is a step towards something. Yeah, so um, or every step I take now, I know what I'm doing. Kind of goes back and forth. But yeah, it's a uh, mine is a little more of like a um, struggle. Uh, back to like struggles but yeah trying to be confident and be uh, be okay with the idea of being confident in lyrics and in uh, like just being um, uh, for sure about something and putting down your feelings about it Uh, I think that that song is trying to work through some of those Uh, because I've had a lot of hang ups where I just haven't wanted because I, I, I feel good about what I'm doing most of the time, but I feel also scared to put myself out there sometimes yeah. musically and um, or to be overconfident in songs. Um, sometimes I think it's it's kind of like other things where people can relate more to a, a person who's not confident in themselves completely. Yeah. <laughs> but trying to just not worry about that and if I feel like it's... I want to say a specific thing, like be okay with saying that thing um, or being okay with trying out like a different style of playing or whatever it may be like. Yeah. Lots of different ways, but it did. Yeah. That's how I kind of took the song mm. was like a lot of you working out. Yeah. Uh, just some feelings you're having about like yeah. where you're at in life in general. Yeah, totally. Um, I thought one really provocative lyric was like special doesn't mean what it used to. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, because I feel like our generation has definitely come up in the, like, your special um, uh, style of raising kids, which yeah. is a good one. I did feel really special growing up, and um, I got a lot of confidence uh, from, like, you know, being encouraged um, as a kid, and then, uh, but at a certain point, like, owning... Uh, actually who you are rather than just like taking it for granted that you're special and whatever you're doing is like an important thing like yeah actually questioning the idea of like um is what i'm doing worth it or you know is it should i be doing this thing that i'm doing because a lot of other people are also also feel like they should be doing it and maybe they have a better perspective or one that's more worthwhile than mine um yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so get that, that's, so it takes a certain amount of confidence to say that I'm worth going for it. Yeah, yeah, that like my music is worth listening to or that I should be living here trying to play music um, instead of like somewhere where it's cheaper and I could just get a job and pay the bills. Um, yeah, which is a big one I wrestle with when I'm in those times in between making things where I'm like, uh, maybe what if I'm blind to the fact that I'm not good enough at what I'm doing and uh, everyone else sees it and yeah or that sort of thing um, well again yeah my opinion is you're, <laughs> you're, you're gonna be proved to be actually special thanks man uh, I, yeah I definitely appreciate that because I think it, you have to also be confident enough to put the work in to do something so that you can uh I don't know, put yourself in a place to make it to because a lot of people get to like a middle place um, and can 
make it well enough to feel like they should keep going for a long time and uh but not ever get confident enough to yeah. try to go for the next step you sound like you have a little bit of a fire lit under you yeah a little to... bit i think i'm just getting like it's, just, it's a part of its impatience which i'm trying to also like i think having other people who are on board and also like working on this with me is uh helpful but i feel a little impatient about like wanting to get to that next yeah. level which you need a little bit i don't know it's good to good to have something pushing you um and you know i want to be able to uh i want the other people in the band to be able to like make money too <laughs> like be able to support themselves with that because they put a lot of time and uh, energy into something that you know i feel like i'm creating like the general framework of it and uh they're putting a lot of time into like supporting that and like also you know basing a a good portion of their life on uh, succeeding. It's succeeding. You're like Kermit the Frog. Yeah. You have a bunch of people relying yeah. on you. <laughs> and I'm just a puppet. <laughs> <laughs> I I can't talk unless someone else speaks through me. You know? <laughs> Back to the God stuff. <laughs> that guy, I was making a dumb joke. That got really cosmic. Yeah. Wow. Um, is there any yeah. other kind of thing that you'd feel sad if we didn't talk about in this? Oh, um, man, I don't know. I don't think so. I feel good. I feel good about most of the stuff we covered. I don't think I... Yeah, I'm trying to think if there's any like, deep secrets I was trying to get out. I don't think so, though. Um, do you have like a sign-off or anything? Uh, or are you still working on that? Getting that... Silence is... This is true. We truly are on the cusp. That's how we... That's how I ended the Ryan Rosenberg episode. Oh, he great. said that. Yeah, that's We truly good. are on the cusp. Maybe we could say it together. Okay. Uh, here, we'll okay. say... I'll do one more. Like, Maybe we could do like... <laughs> thanks, mm. thanks. Thanks, Casey. Thanks, Ben. We truly are. We... Tr- you, let's like I'll say it at the same time. Well, for, thanks, thanks, Casey. Oh, oh, okay. I thought you wanted. That was it. Oh, okay. Go ahead. Thanks, Casey. Thanks, Ben. We, we truly are on the cusp. The so much fun talking to Casey um, and I hope it was fun to listen to if you want to check out Hi-Ho Silvero's music which you really should uh, you can check it out uh, on their band camp at hihosilvero.bandcamp.com or go to caseytrela.com uh, to check out some of his uh, tracks that he's recorded solo and if you can you should try to go to a Hi-Ho Silvero show live because that is a whole other experience Special thanks to my producer, Cece Pierce, to Casey Triela for the music in this episode, in his own episode, and to Joe Burge, our sound editor. This has been On the Cusp. That's your outro music. <laughs>